Oh boy. How was that? That impressive? Yeah. I want to make an announcement. Uh, next weekend is our membership meeting. Um, so if you consider yourself a part of our church or if you are interested in being kind of um, wanting to know what's going on in the ins and outs, please come. It's also going to be the potluck. So we do a potluck and the membership meeting after after church. So please mark that down and come Join us. It'll be soon after, so we're not going to wait a long time. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Um, others that you know who may not be here, please let them know that next weekend's an important time to be here. Oh boy, this thing's going to drive me crazy. All right, we're going to do our scripture reading this morning, and then I'm going to dismiss the kiddos. Let's do the scripture reading first. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. Jumping mid-argument here. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It's God's word. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. So one of the commandments accepted by our culture today is do not judge. We don't love being told what we can and can't do, but in our culture of self-expression and self-actualization and the pursuit of personal happiness, one of the things we most love about Jesus is his seven words in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. 
In fact, one person I was reading said that this verse may be more popular and more known than John 3.16 that is flashed at sporting events and everything else. The verse, a lot of people in general of whatever religious stripe or atheistic stripe know Jesus' words, judge not that you may not be judged. So those are words that our world can get behind. Sin is an outdated concept in the West unless it's the sin of judgmentalism and the sin of intolerance. To name someone's sinful behavior is to engage in bigotry and hypocrisy. This is especially true when it comes to sex and gender. To disagree with sexual identity politics and to not conform to particular discussions around gender fluidity is to commit the almost unpardonable sin in our society. So, if we, as a church, if I name cohabitation, sleeping with your opposite sex partner in a committed consensual relationship, as sin, I am the sinner for doing such a thing. If we name same-sex sex as sin, whether promiscuous or even monogamous, we are sinners. If we name pornography use by a single adult, man or woman, as sin, even if it's in the privacy of their own home, not hurting anyone else, supposedly, and done in complete privacy, we are viewed as abnormal, strange, prudish, and judgmental. And so some of these practices, when called sin, are so offensive to Western society is because we use them as identity markers, that sexuality is the very core of who we are. It's the essence of us. It's the ontology. Who we are is our sexual expression. So to say that my sexual choices, my preferences, my orientation, to say that any of those things that are done, even in the context of consensuality between adults, to say that that is sin is not merely to call something that I do wrong, but to say that I am wrong, that my very being is wrong. And so one German philosopher said it like this. To be honest with you, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but this is what he said. These days, sexuality is equated with the truth of the individual, which is arguably our era's most prominent fiction regarding the nature of truth. These days, sexuality is equated with the truth of the individual, which is arguably our era's most prominent fiction regarding the nature of truth. And what's interesting about our passage today is that it raises this issue of judgment. And that the focus is on judging those inside the church. So not those outside the church, but those inside the church. And the problem is that we, even at times as churches, as Christians, can have the ethos of all that I just said, the ethos of secular culture, and we can take that attitude into 
the church. And we can basically say some of the same kinds of things. What happens to the whole do not judge thing? When we read a passage like that, when we're called to do something like this passage calls us to do, what happened to the whole do not judge thing? There's something about it that still at times can see seem offensive to us because of the world in which we live. And so let's look at these verses. Chapter 5, verse 6. Remember the argument here. Remember what he is talking about. He has been talking about sexual immorality among the church. A kind that was not even tolerated among the world. So sexuality among the inside and not even the outside. Where a man had his father's wife and the church was proud of it. They didn't care. They were rejoicing in what was happening. Not a big deal. Even though the society around still at that time thought it was a big deal. Though they were a very, quote unquote, sexually liberated society. And so that's this argument that we've been going through. And so he jumps in again, calling out their pride. This first phrase of verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Just love how just clear it is. Corinthians, you're boasting about this man with his father's wife and you being not just okay, but celebrating it is not okay in the church community. Pride. So he's not just calling out the sinful practice that that man was engaging in, but he's calling out the sinful practice of the whole church and their pride in it. And if you remember last week, we kind of talked about that. That sometimes we can view things very individualistically. But Paul doesn't see it that way. He, see, he sees the church as a collective, as a unit, as a body. And he says to them, your boasting is not good. Pride. We can get hung up, even on this, even on a sermons like this, which we've been talking a lot about these issues. Kind of the church, wow, we're all just hung up on sex. Well, we're actually just reading through what the Bible is saying, and this is the theme that we're dealing with at this time. But even before sins of the body, pride is one of the fountains of sin. You read various theologians across the centuries talk about pride and unbelief as kind of the chief sins, and that many sins flow from that. C.S. Lewis again. I think I read a little bit of Mere Christianity a few weeks ago. And in a separate section in that book, he says this. The Christians are right. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people, but pride always means enmity. It is enmity. How do you kind of look that up again? This isn't Lewis, this is me. Enmity, hostility, strife. Themes we've been talking about in Corinthians. But back to Lewis. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. 
Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So Paul is after pride in their hearts. This isn't just a sexual sin hobby horse that he's on. He is after the sin of pride. And we must be aware of that even as we talk about issues like sex and in our culture. We must, as churches, always go after things that are even deeper than that. Because God is after that. To exalt yourself above God, to exalt self in any way about any of these kinds of subjects is, is an offense against God. It is a great sin. It is at the root of what sin is. And so Paul is saying, your boasting is not good. Pride in your community is not good. That's one of the big themes. This is kind of a, this flows from that. You've had the pride of rivalry in your community in the first few chapters, exalting various men and philosophers and teachers and even Christians and setting them against each other and looking down on, on other people. And now you're doing a similar thing with, with sex. You're rejoicing in the sinful practice of it. Later, he's going to say, you're doing the similar thing with spiritual gifts. You think you got all the spiritual access and speaking in tongues like wildfire and prophesying, and, but you don't actually love people. And so this is one of the cardinal things that Paul is going after. And so we just need to pause and recognize that. That prideful boasting is not good. And the way we handle any subject should be aware, even in our own hearts, of how easy pride can seep in. So we need to recognize this. We can also see in kind of what I was talking about at first, that how there can be pride in sexuality. Even that word itself, pride, is used as a rejoicing in our culture in various forms of sexual sin. And so it's interesting how Sex and pride can get interweaved and interwoven with one another. And we need to be watchful of that. And so he is communicating his attitude towards this, that their attitude is wrong. He goes on to say, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So if at first he's kind of going after a boasting rebuke, here he's going after a baking lesson. A baking lesson. I don't know what leaven is, so I had to look it up. So Bob's Red Mill. You guys know what Bob's Red Mill is? Sometimes they make pretty good oats and various other, other things. This is from them to help us who don't know about leavening and leavening agents. If you're a baker or trying to do more baking, you have undoubtedly run into the term leavening or leavening agent in some form already. The most common use of this term is likely during Passover when the Jews were fleeing Egypt and had to leave so quickly that they did not leave time for leavening. To this day, Jews still only eat unleavened bread during Passover. So you may be thinking of unleavened bread as flat, crispy bread, and this is pretty much accurate. So unleavened, flat, bread. Leavening, back to Bob's Red Mill, leavening is what makes bread rise or lighten, causing that delicious flaky or chewy texture that we love so much. 
First of all, we should understand why someone would want to leaven their bread. If you've ever tasted that unleavened bread during Passover season, then you may have an idea why. Without leavening, your dough or batter will become crispy, flat, and typically a lot tougher to eat. While this will still keep you alive in an Egyptian desert, it may not be the yummiest treat you've ever tasted. They kind of go on here. As for leavened breads, you may enjoy that the process is unique. And here's what's helping me understand. Mixing your dough or batter causes the proteins gliadin and glutenin, is that the right way to say it? To combine and form a protein called gluten. You've probably heard of that nowadays. You may have heard of this one. The gluten builds an elastic chain which allows the dough to expand and contract. Think of how you can stretch dough so easily. Then the leavening agent builds a matrix of gases inside your dough or batter which traps air inside and causes the dough or batter to expand upon baking. After baking, the gas is able to escape the dough but leaves the structure of all the little air pockets still in place. This gives your end product the lightness and fluffiness that we expect from a delicious homemade baked good. Anyway, that was long, but that helped me understand leavening and leavening agents. If you're like me, I love bread. Diets against bread are a great offense to me and leavening agents are wonderful, but that's what he is talking about right here. He's giving this picture and he's tying it to what? The story of Israel, the Passover, what Bob's Red Mill website is talking about right there. There's a story behind it. Everything that Paul writes has a story behind it. He's not just saying things, I got the Holy Spirit, just do what I say. He's tying it to all of the inspired scriptures beforehand. And we again, it's something we must see when we think about sexuality or anything else. His mind is shaped, his worldview is shaped by all the scriptures. And ours must be the same as Christians. So do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If you get a little bit of that leavening agent in there, it can leaven the whole thing. And then we get awesome bread. One commentator said, leavening has unstoppable effects out of all proportion to its size. So a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. You just need a little bit of it. Cleanse out, this is verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So, what did they do? What was Passover about? We're going to go back to another book, Deuteronomy. We've done this a few times. I've just noticed how everything that he's talking about in this passage, again, like what I just said, is tied to things like Leviticus and the Holiness Code. We've dealt with that a bunch. How even the handing over to Satan might have been attributed to that. Deuteronomy is going to be all over the sermon and what he is talking about here. So we need to pause for a second and remember, we're not just like New Testament Christians in the sense of as if it's disconnected from the Old Testament. That is not the way that Christianity works. It's a one big story. We're after the whole thing. Does that mean that there are some things that we don't practice still in the Old Testament? Yes, it does. But there are certain things that we still do. 
And his, the whole way he is arguing and bringing things up in this passage proves that. We are Bible believers. The whole thing. We don't just toss out the Old Testament. His whole way of thinking is shaped by that. I cannot emphasize that enough. And we as Christians need to recover that. So don't just stick with going to the New Testament all of the time. You've got to know the whole story. You've got to know the whole story. Anyway, Deuteronomy 16, 3-8. So, people of Israel being called... Book of the law here. And this is what they're told to do. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. Here we go. Verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. He's telling them, you're going to do this and you're going to keep doing this to remind you of what happened, of what God has done for you, of how God delivered you. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You must not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you. But at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. So again, he's telling them, no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. And they got to do this all the time, every year, the festival that they keep. So this, especially for the Christians that were Jewish in this community, and we know there's Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians in this community, that's why he's telling the story. That's why he's using this particular example. Cleanse out the old leaven. Just like you do it every year and you go through everything to make sure there's not leaven there, that should be your attitude about this kind of thing and sin in the church. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. Man, that's a great phrase. That is a wonderful phrase. That's a phrase we should memorize. Something about leavened and unleavened bread. And here is why. As you really are unleavened. He is saying to the church community, the reason why you do this cleansing out of sin is because this is who you are. You are unleavened. You are in Christ. So you remember Christianity and all this talk that we're doing about sex and even saying certain sexual practices are sinful. Christianity is not just giving you a law. It is saying that God in Christ has done something for us. That we have been given, to speak of identity, a new identity in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's saying we're not doing behavior modification here. That is a false gospel. That is false teaching. That is a lie. And when we just try to say, don't have sex before you get married, or whatever it is, whatever do-nots we do, which sometimes we should say, the goal is not just to have a bunch of people in church that don't have sex before they get married. The goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The goal is the good news and grace of Jesus 
for sinners. So we don't read these things and then try to like buckle down and just work really hard, be really serious about our sexual issues. The goal is to look at the beauty of Jesus Christ and what God has done and be conformed to him. He's saying, hey, this is who you are, so get rid of that stuff. He's not saying, this is how you become a Christian. You've got to go just put away all your sexual practices. He's saying, you trust Jesus Christ, and then you go put away your sexual practices. There's a big difference in, in the mindset of the way in which we do ethics, in the way in which we are moral moral abiding people according to the standards of the Word of God. It's because we have been delivered and rescued by something we could not do. And that is the good news that God has done for us. So we're saying, hey, Christians, go and do this because you need to become who you actually are. Become who you are. You already are this. Corinthians, you already are this. You're going, dude, this... How in the world are, is this group of Christians that... But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is who you are. You're new people. You're new. Just like the Israelites were in slavery. They were in Egypt. Passover comes. Plagues, which is what they're talking about in Sunday school. Deliverance. I've taken you. You are my people. You are new. You are out of Egypt. So quit trying to go back there all the time. And you've got to remind yourself over and over again, I'm going to give you festivals, I'm going to give you things to remind you of your identity. And this is why you don't practice the other things. This is why you don't follow the sins of the other nations behind you, because you're my people. You are new. And so we've got to pace that across our hearts. And by the Holy Spirit, would he pace that across our hearts whenever we are dealing with this kind of thing. This is how we deal with sin. The good news. So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ. This is where our identity is. The festival that they're thinking about in, in this particular culture, the, the, the every yearness of Passover. The goal, the fulfillment of Passover of the new people of God was the person and work of Christ. That we don't need lambs anymore to sacrifice for sins. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that sacrificial system. And so we say now we are organized around Christ. Now the festival we keep is Christ. Things like the Lord's table. That's what we center everything around. Our lives are built on that Passover lamb. That's where our hope comes from. That's where the forgiveness of of these kinds of sins come from. It doesn't come from behavior modification. It comes from what Christ has done. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You find your identity. As you really are in leaven, that's who you are for because Christ He's our identity. We are people who are in Christ. And I would just ask you, is that your identity? For some of you, it may not be. You may not be Christians. For, for others of you, 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 you may be, but it's good to remind yourself, but is that how I function when it comes to sin and things like that? Wow, I'm a new person. This is who I am. I should be acting according to this way. Not because that's how I am made right with God. 
But it's because it's Christ. This is who He is. I love Him. I trust Him. That's the way I should walk in the world. And so Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. It's a festival. should be happy about it. Joyful celebration. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because what's happening is they're bringing the old leaven in. The little tiny, this agent of, of, of sexual sin, yes, but a pride over just the rejoicing in it, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. That kind of attitude, that little leavening agent in there is going to run through the whole church community. And the whole attitude is going to spill over to everything. This is like we talked about, I think, last week, how sin affects you and it infects everything. Like our view about everything private and individual is not reality. And we actually know that because we see how our sins affect other people. But even on this particular issue, the issue of sexual sin, things like that, it can, that, that rejoicing, that attitude can spread and infect everything. And so he's saying, hey, don't bring that old leaven in here. Malice and evil. And these are kind of intentions. These are intentions of the heart here. This attitude to just ill will, evil, that attitude does not belong among the people of God. Kind of a, just an I, a me first. Those intentions are wrong. He's saying here's the kind of intentions. These are heart issues that he's going. You should have with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The kind of leaven or the kind of unleaven that you should have in here to get rid of those agents that are that are sinful and spread is sincerity, truth, light, honesty. That's what should be a part of our community. Yes, honesty about our sin in a humble way, not in a rejoicing, celebratory way, but sincerity and truth. It must accord with the truth, not my truth that I found on the inside of my own heart somewhere in the way that I feel, but according to the truth of the story of God, the story that God's been telling. It's got to accord with with that, bringing it into His light and according to His judgment and what He has to say. That kind of authenticity, not self-authenticity. I just get to be vulnerable and express my authenticity in any way I want and it's all good. No. Yes, the sincerity and an authenticity, but a sincerity and authenticity according to the truth of God, the light of God, the way of Christ and in that. And so he's saying that's the kind of attitude and motivations that should be a part of the new people of God. And this is not an arrogance not calling them to arrogance about those who might do those other things. This is not an arrogance. This is a humility. It's an honest assessment of who we are before God. And a gospel assessment of who we are, of what God has done for us. A confidence, a a rejoicing, a, a celebration. We celebrate the festival. We celebrate Christ. Not because we're great and we got it all together, but because He is. So banish the leaven. Get it out of the community by the Spirit of God. Verse 9, 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And this is interesting. There's a lot of wonder about this. Sounds like there was another letter. We already got two. First Corinthians, second Corinthians. Sounds like there was another letter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual, sexually immoral people. We've already talked about pornea and what that means and how wide that was in previous sermons. So we're not going to get into all of that now. But he is... He, he apparently wrote them something, and it could be that he's like, I'm going to make some clarification here because you guys misunderstood. I'm going to kind of clarify a couple things here. That's one idea. So I said beforehand, hey, sexually immoral people, that is what we've already talked about. Those who don't adopt the story that God's been telling, that you've been created male and female in his image, and that men and women married monogamous to one another, are the way in which the promises of God spread throughout the world from the very story. They mimic and point to the good news of Christ the husband for the bride, the church. So it's even tied to the gospel story. And so that picture, anything and everything outside of sexual practice, outside of that picture, is off limits, is prohibited. And and they're going, oh, okay, well, then I guess we can't associate with anybody else who's like that. And he's saying... Not at all. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. He's not saying, hey, anybody who's like that, you kind of look down on them. You kind of have an us versus them attitude. You just kind of be good old fundamentalists, dry, crusty, jerk faces. You just kind of look down on everybody else. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, I am not at all meaning that. That attitude is not to be in the church of Jesus Christ. And he gives a list here. Because he's not just talking about the sexually immoral issue. That's kind of the whole context. That's been mainly what he's focused on here. But there's a bunch of other things in this list. There's the greedy. The swindlers. Obviously, those are tied together. Idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. If I meant, don't associate with, don't mix up, that would just mean you'd have to go completely out of the world. Everybody quit their jobs. Everybody just kind of stay, get a piece of land, go to Idaho, leave everything, leave all the bad stuff behind and find your own little spot and huddle up. And he's like, no. He's like, be, he's like, be a Daniel. Be a Daniel. Don't just think you're going to solve all of your Issues by going and hiding somewhere. That's not the way it works. Daniel lived in a pagan society. And what did he do? He was faithful. How? He, well, he prayed. That's what kind of eventually got him in trouble. It doesn't mean you're not going to get in trouble. But it does mean live faithful in the society you're in. Be a different society, a different kingdom than the world. You're going to be in the world. So do it. Be in the world. But we are to be different. We are to live differently. So, watch out for that attitude of kind of a us versus them attitude. And that comes to all of these issues. Verse 11, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of of sexual immorality or greed 
or as an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Hmm. It's a tough one. There's some tough verses in the Bible. We've been (laughs) dealing with a few of them these last few weeks. He's saying, hey, you don't need to go out of the world. You're still going to be in the world. But when we're talking about the Christian community itself, the kind of attitude, Corinth, that you are having, he's not just talking about people slipping up, sinning sexually. He's talking about this this flagrant, indifferent attitude. For that to be in the church of Christ is to be purged, is to be gone. That is not acceptable. And sadly, sometimes, watch Christian social media, watch the religious right, the focus is not like this. It's always on the stuff, oftentimes on stuff outside. Let's just march and protest or do all the different things about the stuff that's outside, all the outside problems. And he's like, your focus right now should be the kingdom of God, should be the church. What is the attitude of those within? Don't associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. I'm a brother. I'm good. I can do what I want to. I can do what I want with my body. How dare you judge me? I will continue to come to this church. I don't care about repentance. I don't care about any of those things. Again, this is a, that kind of attitude is, is not okay and is to be disciplined, is to be removed. Again, different than someone, came, someone coming and saying, hey, I got an issue. I've been doing this. I've been looking at pornography every week for seven years. Or, man, I'm really dealing with homosexual activity. Or, why can't I live with my spouse and help me understand? I mean, I kind of see this, or sorry, live with my <laughs> non-spouse. Um, how, and there's a, and there, and there's a struggle. There's a recognition of, of sin. He's not talking about that. All of us can struggle in different ways with sin. We should be serious about those things. But the, the attitude in this spot is this rejoicing, this arrogance, this, I don't care. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm a brother. Like, that's not attitude of people in Christ. People in Christ sin, and then they, they mourn. They say, man, I need some help with this sin. I need some help with this thing that I'm dealing with. So, we need to make it, that, that's the kind of, uh, of thing that Paul is pointing out here is, is a pride. Is a, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I can, I can do what I want to do with my body, and you don't get to tell me that. Like, that kind of attitude is not to be in the church. That's what he is addressing. And again, not just about sex, about greed. You know, sometimes we can get kind of hung up, like, like I've, talk, I've heard talk about fallen pastors and big names and all that kind of thing. And someone's like, well, he didn't, he didn't um, embezzle funds, he didn't, he didn't have sex with his secretary, and we've had a ton of those kinds of stories. <laughs> but sometimes attitude, kind of a, kind of a greediness, a, a pride, a narcissism, a kind of abuse with words, a super harsh, and like, that dude should be gone. Those are also the kinds of things that they're talking about here. So again, Paul's not just hung up with the sex stuff. Watch out for greediness, idolaters, reviling, 
slander, telling lies about people, being verbally abusive, being a drunkard, swindlers, grabbing money. Don't even eat with such a one. Don't even associate with them. Don't, don't mix. They're not to be mixed because this is about the testimony to the world. The church is to be the picture of Christ to the world. And so, if that kind of attitude and those kind of unrepentant celebrations of those kinds of sins are in the church, they're not to be treated as brothers. They're not to be treated as sisters. That's what the text is saying. Verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And I just kind of love that. He's like, what, in the, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? And I was thinking, you know, where's the attitude of that in the church today? Sometimes we kind of need that, like, man, we get so focused on what's going on outside. He's saying, what, where's, where's this kind of, what do we have to do with those on the outside? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So he's saying, we're to judge. We're to judge those inside the church. And again, this isn't just this attitude of, boy, I'm going to be looking for what you're doing every day and I'm just going to correct you all the time and rebuke you. No, he's not talking about that. These are people that have been shaped by the gospel, by the good news that they know their sin, they understand it. But he's saying, hey, if you get that kind of attitude about those kinds of things, they're to be removed and they are to be judged. Verse 13, God judges those outside. Some of your Bibles might have a footnote. God will judge those outside. That may not be happening presently, and actually it is happening presently if you read Romans 1. Sometimes even judgment itself, God's judgment isn't just what's going to happen on the day. It's sometimes the giving over to more and more sin. Sin gives in to more and more sin. Some of the judgment is more and more of the same sinful activity is the judgment. The excess becomes the judgment. But he's also saying, hey, the, the, hey God one day also is going to judge the outsiders. That's not our job. Purge the evil person from among you. You'll notice that there is quotations around that. Purge the evil person from among you. Again, he's going back to Deuteronomy. But what's interesting, before we hit that, these verses right here, excuse me, some of this vice list, it's called, these vices are tied to Deuteronomy. Um, one scholar was talking about how 1 Corinthians 5.11 is tied to Deuteronomy and various sins that were punishable by death. And the six things that were mentioned here tie back to Deuteronomy. So, sexually immoral. One of the sins in Deuteronomy, promiscuity, adultery, those kinds of things. Deuteronomy chapter 22, chapter tw- verse 21 through 22 and verse 30, punishable by death. Greed. There's no parallel in Deuteronomy, but it's paired with robbers. Idolater, idolatry, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 17. Reviler, a malicious false witness, a false testimony in Deuteronomy 19, punishable by death. Drunkard. You have a rebellious drunkard son in Deuteronomy 21, punishable by death. Robber, kidnapping, slave trading, that comes from Deuteronomy as well, punishable by death. So again, Paul isn't just inventing these out of his head. 
He's got the story of the Bible in his mind and the things he's going after. And just, I mean, this is obvious, but we're not saying right now that that should be punishable by death. That would be one of the discontinuity things with the Old Testament. That is not what we do or engage in. But that the fact that those things are sinful and those things can can demonstrate a certain kind of, of arrogance toward God and a certain kind of practice that is offensive, that's kind of where he's going here. He's grabbing those for a reason. So, again, this last verse with the quotations around it is Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. It is a... This is a quotation from the Old Testament. The hand of the witnesses, oh, actually, just, just, just for the interest, make sure I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. It's talking about stoning. It's talking about stoning. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. The person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Man, isn't that good news? But number seven, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. One scholar put it this way. Paul seems to have translated and transferred the basic disciplinary norms of Israel's covenant community over onto the church at Corinth. That's what he's doing here. Again, he's not saying purge them and grab stones and go stone him. He's not saying that at all, clearly. But he's saying those kind of norms, the kind of practices of that applies to you, church in Corinth. The scholar goes on. The word of command, drive out the evil person from among you, is presented as a word spoken directly to the Corinthians. There's no appeal here to analogy. Just as God told Israel to drive out the evil person, so you should do the same. Rather, Paul in effect addresses the Gentile Corinthians as Israel. God's word to Israel has become God's word directly to them. The scriptural command with which Paul closes the chapter culminates his treatment of the incest problem and discloses the fundamental theological basis for his directions to the Corinthians. Sinful behavior of this sort cannot be allowed to corrupt God's elect covenant community. So again, he's saying, here's the Bible verse. We are under God's authority and this is what God calls the church to do in this instance. With this kind of arrogance about this kind of sin, that kind of person is to be purged and removed from the community. And so those are, those are heavy, heavy things. I want to make something clear too, even, even, even here as a church, one of the reasons why we have um, a group of elders, this isn't like it's one guy's call to get all cocky and make, hey, let's just start kicking everybody out. Absolutely not. This is a, also a communal decision in a sense. Remember, this whole thing isn't just about the individual. It's about the community. This kind of thing is going to infect everything. And so what should you do as a community? Not just as one person making this call, but as a community, just say, you know what? Wow, if, if that kind of issue is happening here, that kind of thing should happen. To be obedient to the scriptures, this kind of thing should happen. 
And absolutely there would be entreating toward the person. There would be time with the person. This wouldn't just be like, oh, you did that, boom, you're gone. Absolutely not. Unequivocally not. That is not the attitude of people of the gospel. That's not what God has done in Christ to us and for us. We'd all be toast. But man, if it's a continual rejection because of the nature of that spreading, that person would need to be removed and purged. Not because we are authoritative, but because God is. We follow his kingdom, his ways. That's what he said. And we sent out an email this week. We've been dealing with a lot of different things. There's probably all kinds of questions that are coming up. Please, if you have questions about any of these, because I'm not going to be able to handle everything here, and we're not always going to have all of the answers too. The Bible's clear about certain things, but how all this gets fleshed out exactly can be tricky, can be a wisdom issue. And sometimes there can be trying to understand that and put it into practice certain things. There can be challenges. So, 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 so I just want to remind us, if you have questions about anything about this, we've covered a lot the last few weeks, send them to us. We have a couple weeks here where, where we may tackle some of that. But I would say, if you do, do it like quickly because... because Somebody has to get up and preach the next Sunday. <laughs> um, but please, please do that. Now, Christ, our Passover lamb. Jesus is the judge. He is the ultimate judge. And you know what the good news of the Passover lamb is? Is that the judge came... In a body, in flesh, the judge came. And what did he do? The judge did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the good news of the gospel. The one we serve, our ethos, our attitude, he did not come to condemn the world. Jesus welcomed sinners. That's different than affirmed. Jesus does not affirm people in their sin. But man, does Jesus welcome sinners. That's the whole goal. Tax collectors, Pharisees going, what are you doing eating with those kind of people? A woman coming in and weeping over her sin. The Pharisees looking, looking down at her. He, he, what was it about Jesus? What's, what is it about Jesus that we can model to the world? That they would feel welcomed, not in their sin, but the kind of people with the kind of grace and mercy that would have a welcoming heart. Hey, we're all in this together. We got good news for you. Come. There is forgiveness. There is grace. To be welcoming, but not affirming in the sin. That's how the judge came down. And he took the judgment. He took the judgment. That is the good news. The judgment, where's all the judgment going to go that we deserve and that every sinner deserves? At the cross, it went on Him. And so He is the Savior. That's good news for all of the world to come in and say, hey, I repent, I turn from my sin, I trust Jesus Christ. And He graciously receives us, welcomes us. And then He says, go and sin no more. I got good news for you. You're now a part of a new community. You now got my name on you. So live like my name is on you. And when you don't, go back. Remember. Remember the festival. 
Remember the sacrifice. Remember the good news. So we, so we gotta be reminded every single week to remember it. You got a new name. Do not take your identity in the sinful behaviors of the world. That is not who you are. That is not who anyone should be. We're to be called to be in Christ. Man, that's good news. And so we can come and rejoice and celebrate our Passover lamb. The one who has given us, made us a new people. And so, let's do that. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there Who made an end to all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die My soul is purchased by his blood My life is hid with Christ on high With Christ my Savior and my God With Christ my Savior and my God One with himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God.
So did you sing that? My name is written on his hands. We got new names. We got a new identity. We can be who we are because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so that's what we are remembering. That's what we are proclaiming right now as we do this. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we close. Put your eyes and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain For now the weak can say that they are strong In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies An army bold whose battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the castles. And with the sword, and the wounded holes, we will fight with faith and valor. His face is trials on every side. Christ will have the price for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet, cause the Son of God is taken. And see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen. stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave. This victory march continues till the day. Every eye and heart shall see him. So, spirit, come, put strength in every stride. 
give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a serving good and faithful. A stretch of hope still hide the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear the calls and hunger for the day. With Christ we stand in glory. As faithful still line the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day. For with Christ we stand in glory. God bless you, and we hope you have a wonderful week. No, no, this was the rest of five. This was eleven and thirteen. Thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't go to that one. <laughs>